0: This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, November 19th, 2020. 2020. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's
1: show, Ellie Shannon and I will be updating you on campus and local news. Then we'll be hearing an interview
0: from KCSU Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum. Then we'll be hearing about white supremacist stickers appearing around campus from Abby Vander with a collegian, and why female CSU athletes are publicly criticizing the CSU athletic department with Miles Bloomhart of the Coloradoan. Then I'll be delivering some national news. After that, I'll be speaking with Michael Batram of the of Rams Against Hunger, and Ivy will be updating us on what proposition, proposition 117 means for Colorado.
1: To conclude the show, Coda will be giving some updates on technology and COVID-19, and I'll update us on the strange things happening in the world. Let's move right into
0: campus and local news.
2: Hey guys, it's Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to KCSU's weekly newscast. We're in week 13 of the semester, and Thanksgiving break starts on Monday, November 23rd. CSU is advising that students get COVID-19 tests before possibly traveling home. Saliva tests are still available through the university if you are a student. Balance's Biotech has licensed a new rapid COVID-19 test that was developed by three professors and their students from CSU. The test is being designed for the use of self-administered nasal swabs for a more non-invasive way to test. This is great news for the university and even for the world. Fort Collins police are investigating a single-car crash that left one man dead on Prospect Road Tuesday morning. The driver was traveling at a high rate of speed until crashing and was taken to the hospital where he was later pronounced dead. Police are still investigating this as of Wednesday. The Great Western Railroad Bridge over I-25 near Loveland is being replaced as crews work to cut it by using torches burning at 2,800 degrees. The old sections of the bridge will be recycled as new sections come in. Crews have been working for two years to try and raise the bridge. Thanks for listening to my weekly newscast. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to KCSU on 90.5 FM.
3: Now. When in the world are we going next? Find out Tuesday evenings from 5 to 7 with me, DJ Hot Tubs, on the Hot Tubs time machine. Keep it here on
4: 90.5 KCSU.
1: Hello there, I'm Ivy Winfrey, and this is your local news for today. Colorado Governor Jared Polis announced on Tuesday that he is calling in the Colorado General, General Assembly for a special session to provide economic relief for people struggling due to the COVID 19 pandemic. According to Ryan Severance at the Pueblo Chieftain, Polis made the announcement during a COVID 19 press briefing during which he discussed how case uh, numbers and, and hospitalizations are continuing to rise in Colorado. Polis said of the upcoming special session, quote, extraordinary times call for For extraordinary actions," end quote, noting that it will focus on critical legislation to help Colorado families and businesses survive in winter months ahead, uh, ahead and bridge the state to widespread implementation of a vaccine. Work is still being done to develop scientific parameters for the special session, and is unclear exactly when it will begin. But Poll said that the work will focus on several areas, a small business relief package with direct aid and tax relief for businesses most impacted by capacity limits, such as restaurants and bars, housing and rental assistance for those struggling to make ends meet, support for child care providers, and expanding broadband access for students and educators to make sure students can learn online when schools are in remote learning. The pandemic emergency unemployment compensation, which gives 13 weeks of extra unemployment insurance to those who have run out of options, ends at the end of the year. The eviction moratorium, a 2020 rebate checks, student loan forbearance, and f- small business debt relief also ends with the year. In October, the governor's office announced that direct one-time $375 stimulus payments will be sent out to some 435,000 qualifying individuals experiencing economic hardship caused by the pandemic. Since the pandemic struck Colorado in March, hundreds of thousands of residents have filed for for and received unemployment insurance benefits, and many are still struggling because of the economic conditions brought upon by COVID-19. The payments are expected to go to the population of qualifying Coloradoans making less than $52,000 per year and have received at least $1 of unemployment benefits and are expected to begin being issued in early December." Fort Collins has lifted its outdoor fire restrictions in lieu of Cameron Peak fire finally dying down. According to Kevin Duggan at the Coloradoan, the stage 2 restrictions, which went into effect August 31st and included a ban on outdoor burning such as campfires, fire pits and charcoal grills, has been dropped by the city of Fort Collins. At the time of the ban's introduction, the city was experiencing degraded air quality because of the fire, and it and other local communities had imposed restrictions already. Fire restrictions are still in place for unincorporated Larimer County outside of city limits throughout November 30th, and that ban includes charcoal and pellet fire grills. While restrictions have been lifted, requirements for outdoor burning that were in place prior to the ban still apply. Residents who were negatively impacted by smoke from someone's fire may voice their concerns via Access Fort Collins at fcgov.com accessfortcollins or the city's nuisance hotline at 970-416-2200. That was the local news. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Next up is the sports report with Jonathan Gillum. Thank you.
5: In Colorado. It's Jonathan Gillen for KCSU Sports and today I have an exciting interview. We have landed an interview for the new complex that is being built here in Northern Colorado. So we're going to go right to the interview right now. Today we have landed an exclusive interview with a representative of the new sports complex located in Northern Colorado that is being built. Called the Future Legends Complex. Located in Windsor, Colorado, Future Legends is a premium multi sport complex dedicated to the stars of tomorrow. Please welcome Executive Director Casey Katowski.
6: Casey, how are you? What's up, Jonathan? Thanks for having me.
5: Yes, and this is very exciting for me. I've been following the building of this complex for the last couple of years. And it's kind of been a mystery to me. and I, So I'm really excited to find out more details about what this complex is gonna bring. So let's go ahead and dive right in.
6: Yeah, man, absolutely. So I, again, appreciate you having me on. Big fan of the program. And, and when my team told me about this opportunity, it was the, f- the first thing on my priority list. So appreciate it again. The, uh, the complex has been a dream of mine and my family for a very long time. I don't know how much you know about it, but happy to run through kind of what, what it implies and how this all came into fruition. It's been a very long ride for us, but a very exciting one. So happy to dive into that, if that's cool. I know
5: many Coloradans are excited for this complex. So let's go ahead and and take a dive into the story of how this complex was built and what is the goal and purpose going to be?
6: Yeah, absolutely, man. So originally, so myself and my father, we've been in professional sports for uh, almost 15, 16 years. So we've owned different minor league teams. We've been a part of the, the entertainment world and sports world for a long time. Uh, he mainly focuses on the retail and entertainment law side. And I've been on sports operations for the past decade. So we've had this dream to really create an all encompassing sports and entertainment complex in a different part of the, of the country in a very unique way. And so and we've had that, that dream for a long time And and being able to find a location to do that is harder than you think. And so, Originally, we had a couple different locations in mind in the Midwest. I'm actually from California originally, and being able to do something like this in California was just not that feasible. And Northern Colorado was always a market to us that made a lot of sense. It's a very close community. It's a lot of fun stuff to do. It's very touristy, but not in a very superficial way. It's something that, that we really resonated with. And so when this opportunity came up to have this land, In Windsor, which is 118 acres, to be able to utilize that land to build this complex and this dream made so much sense to us. And so when we were able to find the correct land location, which is, as I said, it's in Windsor, it's about maybe 10 minutes east of Fort Collins. It's about 5 or 10 minutes west of Greeley, so it's kind of in the center of Northern Colorado. It's a 120-acre, 118-acre complex that already had three fields existing. So it's called, originally it was called Diamond Valley Sports Complex. And so we we were able to buy the rest of the land outright uh, from the government in exchange for us to be able to build our complex while also incorporating some of the local community events as well. And so that was really important for us is to not just be a national complex, like another one in, on the East Coast that's a major complex that feels like it's a national complex and the local community doesn't get to use it. And so we wanted to make sure the local community knew this is something for them as well. We didn't just pick this location because there was open land. We picked it because it was strategic as a location. And so I can dive in a little bit, Jonathan, of, of kind of what's gonna be in the complex, but that's kind of the backstory of how it was all created.
5: Yes, please, let's go ahead and hear more details about this complex.
6: Yeah, absolutely so the the original plan was to kind of combine all the the cool things that when I was growing up I played baseball I played sports and I traveled all around the country to play it And there are a lot of things that I noticed in my own experiences that I wasn't able to achieve that I would love to see one day And so it's kind of like that that Hollywood story that you see that you know You you lived through something growing up and you want to change that when you actually get the opportunity to do that So I, I happen to be in that fortunate state in my life where I get to do that so for example you might go to a complex with a bunch of fields somewhere in the country and the nearest restaurant is, you know, 30 minutes away. The nearest hotel is either a very expensive one in downtown or it's another 45 minutes away. And when you you travel to it, it's not always in a place that's ideal for you to go to. You know, if you, if you live in Los Angeles, for example, and the best place for the tournament for you to play in is in South Carolina, it's tough for you to get there. And so, This really appealed to us when we saw a location that's, you know, 45 to 50 minutes away from one of the biggest intermediary airports in the country that was extremely appealing to us because it's accessible from Seattle as it is from Miami or Pittsburgh or New York or Los Angeles. So it really, it really gave us a prime location. And so all those things that we just mentioned, we were able to put into one complex. So we'll have about two dozen outdoor fields that we can do pretty much every sport that you can imagine besides swimming, ice hockey, and tennis. So every other sport that you can list, we will have. In addition to that, we will have a professional stadium that will host professional sports. So I know that that's a hot topic right now in Northern Colorado. The Colorado Eagles, run by Martin Lind, do an exceptional job at bringing professional sports to Northern Colorado. Myself and my family would like to, to add to that and bring more professional teams, and we're gonna be able to do that. And so the, the stadium is a big piece of that. But having two nationally flagged hotels in the center of the complex, is another huge benefit to us because people can stay on site 200 feet away from the stadium. You know we'll have a, a bubble dome that's uh, almost four acres in total area. It'll be one of the top five biggest bubble domes in the country. On the right side it'll be basketball and volleyball courts, and on the left side it'll be uh, a, a multi-purpose turf field. And so on, on top of that we have an 80,000 square foot retail area for restaurants for the local community, and stores, shops, uh, potentially a, a health department that we can make sure that, that people have the health care that they need on the complex. And the thing, Jonathan, that I am most excited about, and I'm not allowed to play favorites, but since it's my complex, I get to, is a 64-team dormitory that each room will have 12 to 14 kids and two coaches available for each room. And there's 64 rooms of that, that when I bring in either a national tournament or uh, I do somewhat of a big event, the team itself stays on the site with their teammates in the dorm, while their parents can stay 300 yards away in those two hotels that I mentioned, and allows us to really do so many different cool events as an all-encompassing place that a lot of other places cannot do. And so that that's what's super exciting to us is that since we own it outright, like I mentioned before, we can run those events in-house with as much flexibility as we would like. And so expect in March of 2022 to see some of the, the most innovative tournaments and events that you see in the country, which is, is one of the main reasons why our, our, our complex, our company, our team is so exciting to a lot of people, is that we can do things a lot of other people can't do and haven't tried yet.
5: Yes, that does sound exciting. And you mentioned all the different sports that are gonna come with it. What about the, the different age groups that this complex will house? And then also, how is it gonna work with the community, with like the town of Windsor? or with, say, other northern Colorado cities, such as Fort Collins or Greeley?
6: Great question. So first, I'll start with the age group thing. So most of our in-house events are, are going to be tried to tailor to a youth market. So it's, it's usually you know about 8 to 13, 8 to 14-year-olds is kind of what our, our bread and butter will be. Because those are the, the, what we like to say are the kids that are really at their peak of enjoyment of sports. So as I mentioned before, I played sports growing up. And once you get to a certain age, you know, it's really tough to, to remember how fun sports can be. You know, you start worrying about college, you worried about tuition and going pro. And so that 8 to 14 age, grade, or age range is really what the most fun age range is. And so that's what we're tailored to. But with that being said, we are a full-encompassing complex that has more than just sporting events. We'll have concerts, some of the biggest concerts in Northern Colorado history. We'll have festivals, local community events. Like you mentioned, being a part of the community is a big thing. So being able to have you know local movie nights, beer and wine festivals, food festivals for the local communities is really important to us. So whether you're two years old or 89, there's going to be something at our complex almost weekly that is going to be right up your alley.
5: You just touched on a bunch of extraordinary things of the all the encompassing events that are going to happen, it sounds like. So... What do you think is the impact it's going to have on the Northern Colorado community?
6: We'd like to have as much of an impact as we possibly can. It's a huge priority for me to know that the local community, the Northern Colorado region and Colorado as a state treats this like a backyard project, that I'm not a a complex with a bunch of business heads that come in and found land, like I said before, just to put something like this in an available land. The impact is really to bring in Tourism to Windsor Fort Collins Greeley Loveland area So people know that this is on the map that they don't just think of Colorado as a place where Aspen is or that Denver is And so if I'm from New Jersey or Philadelphia or anywhere around the country And I've never heard of Windsor before I've never heard of of Greeley or Loveland They now will and that's that's one of my priorities But uh, one thing I do want to mention Jonathan Our my biggest priority by far is not to make money. It is not to the best businessman in the world is to really create an opportunity for people of all ages, all races, all backgrounds to find a way to be outside, to play sports, to be part of a team, and to be all inclusive. So I'm not a huge slogan guy. I'm a pretty transparent, laid-back guy. But the, the three words that I like to use all the time is inclusivity, accessibility, and diversity. And that, that is my priority by far. And so when you talk about impact, that's how we believe we're impacting the country.
5: Yeah, it sounds like you plan to impact the jobs, the economy, the tourism, the overall image of Northern Colorado. Casey, as we're kind of wrapping up the interview, is there any kind of special message you would like to give to Northern Colorado?
6: Yeah, man, absolutely. And again, I appreciate the time. Uh, I, uh, the, the, the big message that I wanna put out there is that I wanna be as accessible and have my team as accessible to this community as I can. I've been a part of projects in my life and I've, I've been a part of a family that it, sometimes it can seem like we can be intimidating or that the local community can't ask questions or again, like it's a national complex in a local community type of atmosphere. And so I wanna make sure that, that people feel like we are approachable, that we are available for the community itself, for Northern Colorado, to make this feel like it's home to a lot of people. And so some of the numbers that we're projecting, is, it's, it is going to bring in 1.2 million visitors a year with, with about 600,000 of those are tourists. And so what we ask for is patience to an extent, but also continued excitement. This is a dream come true for so many people. We have so many professional athletes on board as either investors or partners that are either local Colorado athletes that people know and love already, or national names that people will know very soon. And so bringing professional sports, bringing professional athletes as well, and having a team that, I run things a little bit different, Jonathan. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a very laid back guy. I'm very unorthodox with how I do stuff. And I want to keep that as a strength, not a weakness. We, we want to be different. We want to be unique. We, wanna be a, uh, we don't want to be a cookie cutter type of place. And so we, we hope that the local community resonates with that. And continue to show the excitement that we've seen because it's it's been very welcoming we're very excited to be here
5: i know 2022 was mentioned but is there any other sort of specific date that we can kind of give the listeners of something to look forward to
6: there is and i can i can give you as a thank you for having me on today i'll give you some some news that uh you can know be one of the first people to know so uh springtime of 2022 is really our, our national uh opening it's our our launch of our National Invitational, really the, the launch of the complex. The local community we're gonna try and do uh, by next fall, uh, a, a kind of a local opening. Well, maybe not every amenity is ready yet. So some of the amenities I mentioned, the stadium, the hotels, that might take a little bit more time into the winter, uh, especially with COVID right now, we wanna be extra strategic with health and wellness of everybody and the construction team as well as a big priority. And so March of 2022 or springtime of 2022 is really our grand opening but expect a local community opening about next fall in 21.
5: Nice. And just to reiterate that to the listeners, again, be on the lookout for some sort of special event in fall of 2021.
6: Yeah. Uh, Hopefully you guys like big concerts and big festivals too, because I would like to attend my own events because we have to be fans of our own stuff at the same time. So hopefully everybody else is just as excited as we are.
5: Well, I think you've already hooked a big fan because (laughs) sports and music, those are my big passions. This has been fun, and thanks again for taking your time.
6: Absolutely. Happy to have you, man.
5: Once again, that was Casey Katowski of the Future Legends Complex, the massive new sports complex being built right over in Windsor, Colorado. So for me, that was an exciting interview. I, like I said in that interview, I've been watching that complex for a while. I've reported it on RMR for a bit too. So it's great to hear some some juicy exclusive details on that complex. Thanks for all the listeners who tune in. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time.
1: Today, we are joined by Collegian reporter Abby Vandergraaf, here to talk with us about an article she wrote on how stickers with ties to white supremacist groups have been found around campus. Abby, thanks for joining us today.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: So what is the imagery that's being found around campus?
4: So on Monday, we got a call from a CSU student who reported finding stickers and posters last Thursday advertising the Patriot Front, a white supremacist group. The stickers were placed on light posts and other public property along the bike path that runs along CSU's campus from Prospect Road to the edge of the Oval near Laurel Street. By the time we got there, the majority of them had been peeled off or covered up.
1: What is the Patriot Front?
4: According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Patriot Front is a white nationalist hate group that focuses on image-driven propaganda as well as an explicitly fascist agenda. The group is affiliated with other neo-Nazi groups who took part in the 2017 Unite the Right rally, where a car was deliberately driven into protesters, causing one death.
1: So, what does this mean for the CSU community?
4: This is just one of many instances of hateful imagery that has shown up around campus in recent years. Some other instances include the appearance of swastikas in Aggie Village in 2019, as well as the N-word written on the wall in the I.M. Fields bathroom in a blood-like substance, which also occurred in 2019. This incident confirms, yet again, that there are still hateful individuals in our community, which is something we should be aware of and talk about so that we can find ways to best mitigate the harm messages like this can cause.
1: Abby, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We'll be right back. Yeah. Uh, next up is an interview I did with Miles Bloomhart from the Coloradoan. Today, I am joined by Miles Bloomhart, uh, a senior reporter at the Colorado Coloradoan newspaper, here to talk with us about a story he wrote that was published Wednesday about CSU student athletes coming out to publicly criticize the CSU administration for its handling of sexual assault cases. Uh, Miles, thanks so much for joining me.
3: Yeah, Ivy, it's great to be here.
1: Um, so first off, uh, your article states that both current and former female student-athletes are publicly criticizing the administration at CSU Athletics Department and are considering public protests such as uh, staging sit-ins, wearing their uniforms inside out, making further public statements. What specifically are they
3: alleging is the reason for their protests? Um, some of the uh, some of, of what their uh, criticism is about is um, really it has a lot to do with uh, athletic administration delaying. Uh, Title IX protocols, um, they're gaslighting these, um, these victims. They're trying to make it so that they don't go to Title IX um, with their um, accusations. Um, instead, they tell them that they'll handle it on their own, um, and so they try and steer them away from Title IX, and also that they don't, um, per CSU protocol, uh, they are supposed to report those um, Title IX incidents within 24 hours, and they say that's not happening either.
1: Um, how has CSU been responding to these allegations?
3: Uh, they don't respond to me. I ask questions. Um, I've asked numerous times to interview Joyce McConnell, um, athletic director Joe Parker, um, and other people. But uh, CSU does not allow me to interview those people.
1: All right. Um uh, so, uh, who exactly are the uh, former mm-hmm. and current student athletes uh, behind this outcry? Mm-hmm. Um, any uh, is there anybody in particular behind this?
3: Um, so, you know, there's some a uh, couple of current athletes, Emma Corwin and Skylar Williams, a tennis player and a, and a swimmer, um, and they have come out uh, uh, in in support of these uh, women who have uh, been involved in these sexual misconduct cases and. Um, Ida Donahue is a former swimmer, and Stephanie Bess is a a former pole vaulter. Um, And then Katie Schiller is the student um, who has a lawsuit against CSU for alleged uh, sexual assault while being a server at Canvas Stadium.
1: Um, uh, In your article, you also stated that uh, the Colorado and requested information about CSU's handling of Title IX cases. Uh, What sort of data were you able to gather?
3: Well, so I, I, uh, I, I wanted the last 10 years of that reporting um, from a campus-wide standpoint, investigations and reports, um, as well as um, student-athletes who were victims and student-athletes who are the perpetrators, uh, CSU. And the reason I did that is to see if there was a trend, um, you know, uh, before and during uh, Athletic Director Joe Parker's tenure. Uh, Joe has been here since, uh, I believe, 2015. However, they would only provide me with the last five years of data. Um, So we have that data, but we don't have anything to compare it to. Um, I believe there were two other athletic administrators uh, during that time before Joe.
1: Um, What has the timeline looked like on this story? Uh, When did uh, the Colorado Coloradoan first become aware of what's going on?
3: Uh, I was just looking the other day. I had my first communication on September 9th. So it's been a two month process, um, you know, because it takes a while to, again, um, to, uh, you know, make sure that these, uh, you go through the proper process to make sure that these allegations, um, you know, are accurate, uh, what was done, what kind of protocol was done, what wasn't done. Um, so there's, it takes a lot of investigation, especially with Title IX, because Title IX in and itself is a, is a pretty confusing federal law.
1: Um, I understand that you've also covered recent investigations into CSU Athletic Administration about alleged intentional breaking of COVID-19 protocols and racial insensitivity. Has that had any impact on this story?
3: Well, I think what happens is you're starting to see a series of events um, uh, taking place at least uh, that's what uh, numerous people have told me within the CSU athletic department as well as student athletes um, that these problems exist over there it's not just a a handful of people Um, I think in the initial stories we interviewed over 30 people I think it might have even been closer to 40 Um, and then uh, so once you uh, vet those stories and you corroborate them and you make sure that um, that, uh, the stories, uh, stand that the people were there, they witnessed it, they experienced it. Um, then you go ahead with it. So again, that story took, um, I think about three or four months to come up with that.
1: Um, do you know if CSU has had any, uh, history of incidents like this in the past? Uh, I did again, refer to that investigation that came out recently. Uh, but do you know if there, uh, has been any other instances of, uh, CSU violating Title IX pro- protocols?
3: Well, you know, Title IX in and of itself is a, is, is real. probably every university violates it at, to some degree. Um, CSU, I believe, is in violation of it right now with, in, in certain aspects. I believe they still are. But it, it is a very difficult um, federal law to make sure that you are in compliance with all of it. However, the part that we're talking about right now um, with sexual misconduct, with sexual misconduct. Um, certainly, there are some allegations now that bring light to some issues at CSU regarding that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, do you know of uh, what the implications could be if a CSU doesn't abide by the federal laws, like uh, legal rep- repercussions?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a federal law, so they, there, can, there can be actions against a university. Usually, what they allow them to do is to come uh, become compliant. Um, in that regard, that, that is the NCAA's uh, uh, first, uh, or, or Title IX's first objective, you know, is to come in compliance with that. So um, if something comes of this and, uh, and there is a crackdown at CSU, I believe they would probably first have a chance to become compliant. All right.
1: Uh, and is there anything else uh, we didn't cover here that you feel is important to mention about the story?
3: No, I think the, the one thing that we need to remember with with the, uh, uh, you know, with, with all of the stories, the investigative stories I've done, it, it, it all comes down to um, student athletes and their well-being. And you have to remember that these student athletes are children of, of parents and guardians. And uh, it, we're, we're never saying that all of these student athletes are being hurt, but there's a large enough uh, population of them. Uh, that's feeling racial insensitivity, or um, you know, uh, the the sexual misconduct um, that that it needs to be addressed by this administration.
1: All right, that's all the questions I have, Miles. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thanks for having
1: me, Ivy. Again, that was Miles Bloomhart with the Coloradoan newspaper. You can find him on Twitter with his handle at Miles Bloomhart. We'll be right back with my proposition explanations only on ninety point five KCSU.
5: Support from KCSU comes from Chipper's Lanes with bowling, laser tag, arcades, and college night every Thursday exclusively at our North College location. With indoor sports arena ventilation systems capable of over 14,000 cubic
1: feet of fresh air per minute and extra sanitation efforts, learn more at ChippersLanes.com. The election is coming to a close, In Colorado voters in 2020 voted in favor of quite a few ballot measures. We at KCSU have prepared a series of segments devoted to discussing the future impact of each of these ballot measures. Today we'll be discussing the purpose and possible impact of Proposition 117, also known as the Require Voter Approval of Certain New Enterprises Exempt from Tabor Initiative. Proposition 117 is an initiative designed to require statewide voter approval of new state enterprises if the enterprise's projected or actual revenue from fees and surcharges is greater than $100 million within its first five years. Under the measure, revenue collected for enterprises that were created at the same time or that serve substantially the same purpose would be aggregated when calculating the application of this amendment. The definition of enterprises in Colorado was first established through Colorado's Taxpayer Bill of Rights Amendment of 1992, also known as Tabor. Enterprises are government-owned businesses that provide goods or services for a fee or surcharge that is paid for by the individuals or entities that are purchasing the goods and services. This is in contrast to government agencies or programs that provide goods and services or services that are paid for using tax revenue. Enterprise revenue does not count towards the Tabor limit. Tabor limits the amount of money the state of Colorado can take in and spend. Any money collected above the Tabor limit is refunded to taxpayers unless the voters allow the state to spend it. Examples of Colorado enterprises that have had enterprise status since the Passage of Tabor include the State Lottery, State Nursing Homes, Colorado Correctional Industries, and College Assist, including Student Loan Program and College Access Network. Enterprises that gained enterprise status after the passage of Tabor include Colorado Parks and Wildlife in the Division of Wildlife, higher education institutions, universities and colleges, statewide tolling authority, statewide bridge enterprise, and more. The passage of 117 essentially broadens the power given to voters in the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Tabor ensures that Colorado cannot raise taxes without the approval of voters, but it did not give them authority over fees. Taxes and fees are fairly similar in Colorado. Both are payments that residents must make to the government to pay for services. The primary difference is that taxes are used to pay for the general expenses of the government. For example, income taxes flow into the general fund, where lawmakers can then spend on general government purposes. A fee is supposed, to, uh, you, is supposed to be used to cover a specific government purpose that is directly related to the payment of the fee, according to the Colorado Supreme Court. For example, if you pay a fee to use a toll road, a toll road that money goes into a transportation enterprise, which is legally required to use that money on transportation projects. Fees have played an increasingly important role in how Colorado funds its government since Tabor passed in the 1990s. Today, fee-powered enterprises make up about 20% of the state's budget. Tax increases are very, very difficult to pass in Colorado. Voters have rejected the vast majority of tax proposals, whether it's for schools or roads. Lawmakers have turned to fees instead, and they go far beyond extra charges for a driver's license. For example, the state's hospital provider fee collects hundreds of millions of dollars per year from hospitals based on the number of patients they serve. And state lawmakers considered funding a paid family leave bill by instituting a fee equal to the portion of people paychecks. Fee-funded enterprises also don't count towards government spending limits set by Tabor. In other words, paying for a program through fees leaves the government more room to spend money elsewhere. Ultimately, the impact of Proposition 117 is that Colorado lawmakers will have a significantly more difficult time being able to create new enterprises to make fees and thus collect more funds on the flip side colorado voters are less likely to encounter any new fees and enterprises without voting on them in the future information from this segment was collected from colorado public radio and Ballotpedia. i'm ivy winfrey and you're listening to 90.5 kcsu after this is our national news segment we'll be right back
0: I'm feeling some college radio vibes. Oh, I got you, baby. You know that
2: college radio is more than just the Coachella lineup, right? It's also like metal and sports and EDM and news and jazz. And KCSU, where college radio is more than just college radio.
0: All right, we just heard from Miles Bloomhart from The Coloradoan. Now it's time for national news highlights for Thursday. Wednesday, a federal judge said that the COVID-19 pandemic cannot be used as a reason for deporting unaccompanied children. According to Josh John Burnett at National Public Radio, close to 9,000 children have been deported alone. This has been allowed previously under the reasoning that children are a threat to public health during the coronavirus. The policy used Title 42, which is a law that allows the government to block non-citizens from accessing entry to the U.S. if they carry diseases. But this policy does not ex- allow for expulsions. According to a federal judge, Emmett Sullivan, quote, expelling persons as a matter of ordinary language is entirely different from interrupting, intercepting, or halting the process of introduction to the country, end quote. The largest school district in the country will be reverting back to online schooling. According to Eliza Shapiro of the New York Times, New York City's schools are closing today due to another wave of the coronavirus hitting the city, which was hit hardest this spring when the pandemic began. Began. The city reached a 3% test positivity rate average for a week, which, pr- which prompted the shutdown. This school district educates 1.1 million students and has only been open for around eight weeks before the shutdown was announced. Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City was the first mayor of a large city in the U.S. to open schools during the pandemic. De Blasio said that schools will be back, but it may take over a month to return. Georgia's hand recount has shown that President-elect Joe Biden is still ahead for the state. According to Stephen Fowler of National Public Radio, Georgia election officials were asked to recount ballots to ensure proper results. The statewide audit has shown that President-elect Biden has still won the state of Georgia's electoral votes. The The audit's completion was due last night. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger announced the hand recount last week due to how close the race in Georgia was. Georgia did find that some ballots were not counted or were scanned improperly, but not enough to change the results for Georgia. President Donald Trump has made unbacked statements that fraudulent votes were found in Georgia, but representatives from the Secretary of State's office has said that this is untrue. Managers of Tyson's Pork Plant in Iowa reportedly placed bets on how many employees would contract the coronavirus. According to Joshua Bode, at USA Today, a lawsuit was filed Wednesday against supervisors of the plant, Due to their decisions to downplay the virus, while local officials tried to get it shut down, tried to shut down the plant early in the pandemic, it stayed open. Around a thousand employees became sick with the virus, and five of them died as a result. One of the supervisors, John Casey, instructed other managers to ignore COVID-19 symptoms. Plant manager Tom Hart organized a betting ring amongst managers and supervisors to guess how many employees would become sick due to the pandemic. 90% 90% of deaths in Black Hawk County, where the plant is located, were linked to the Tyson plant. That's all for national news highlights. I'm Gota Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on KC- KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back. Butram from the, uh, from the Rams Against Hunger program here at CSU. Would you mind introducing yourself really quickly?
7: Yeah, my name is Michael Butram. I use he, him pronouns. I am the Rams Against Hunger coordinator.
0: What is Rams Against Hunger?
7: Rams Against Hunger is a menu of services offered to support students, staff, faculty, anybody in the Ram community who is facing food insecurity at any level.
0: For those who haven't heard of it, can you explain what the food pantry is at CSU and where people can access it?
7: Yeah, certainly. So of that menu of services, our food pantry is one of the options. Um, We feel it's probably the most accessible for the majority of folks who might find themselves in a a situation of food insecurity. Um, It is a food pantry in the most basic sense. We operate in partnership with the Food Bank of Larimer County. We are a partner agency through an MOU between CSU and the Food Bank of Larimer County. So we have about at any given moment, oh, yeah, five, six thousand pounds of food out on our theater floor at this moment and in, in our uh, various freezers and, and refrigerators. And any member of the CSU community can come by. Um, we will have you walking away with a box full of fresh produce, um, some frozen items, some shelf-stable items. We try to really get a, a wide gamut of food um, so that so that pe- people can have at least their basic necessities met um, before having to go onto the grocery store to maybe fill in a, a couple of the blanks for themselves. Um, and that's the concept behind the pantry. Uh, we're open on Wednesdays from 4 to 7. Thursdays from four to seven, Fridays from nine to 12. And again, that's out of the LSC theater. And anybody is welcome to show up at any time. There is no limit on the number of times you may visit a month. Um, and yeah, that's, we we want to be the service for people when they need it and in an accessible place. And we hope we're covering those
0: those bases. Is the food pantry changing its schedule at all when classes go online?
7: No after the fall break we will be closed during fall break when the lsc is closed after fall break we will be open those very same normal hours that i just mentioned um and will be open through finals week during winter break we will close again during the two-week period of um december and i don't want to misquote here 21 through january 4. we will open back up um for the two weeks prior to classes starting. At that point, there will be an adjusted schedule and I um, sadly do not have that right now. I anticipate that that will be Wednesday evenings only. So just once a week during those two weeks. And then as soon as school starts back up, classes start back up, be it virtual, hybrid, in-person, whatever the university decides, we will have the pantry open to all members of the community who choose to come visit us. And we anticipate those very same hours that we hold right now. Again, that is Wednesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 7, Fridays from 9 to 12 in the LSC Theater.
0: All right, thank you. And then um, how many students do you think have been served by Rams for Hunger in the past semester so far?
7: Yeah, Rams Against Hunger, at the pantry alone, we serve about 325 students on average every week. so, you know, we've been going at it now for two months. We're, we're serving nearly 1,500 students probably in a, in a given month, um, you know, between 12 and 1,500 students in a given month. Uh, and so we've been operating at that pace since August. Um, and prior to that, we were open through the summer. Um, we opened the doors to the pantry on a, on April 23rd. So we had to do a little scrambling, figure things out after the pandemic struck and we knew that this was going to be an area of high priority and we wanted to make sure that students had their basic needs met so that they could focus on their academic success and that's what we've been doing ever since so as in terms of numbers well let's go on the weekly and let's say it's a you know about an average of 325 weekly Um, we also have our swipes program that currently serves um, just over 400 students Um, and that is Another Rams Against Hunger program, it allocates swipes to individuals who meet the eligibility criteria, and you can apply for that. Um, Look on our Rams Against Hunger website. Uh, Just type in Rams Against Hunger, it'll come up. And you'll notice that there is an application for the swipes right there on on the website. And uh, we'd love to see those applications come in as well. We have the funding in place to to Mm -hmm. serve some folks through that swipes program.
0: How can students or other Fort Collins community members contribute to Rams Against Hunger in other ways? Um, so the Food Bank of Larimer County is our partner.
7: Anytime a donation goes to the Food Bank of Larimer County that is going to be a contribution that can in effect turn around and become a donation to Rams Against Hunger. If you want to make a monetary donation there is a possibility to do so through our website again that's rams against hunger website um, so you'll just look up rams against hunger it's going to pop right up the name is a little too long for everybody to remember offhand but just look up rams against hunger and right at the bottom of the drop downs there's going to place to don't uh, be an option for donate now and when you donate you know that that money goes to the swipes program it goes to the pantry program and you know something that we're just so happy is A kind of a cyclical thing that we, our Ram community is supporting our Ram community. It's fulfilling the adage that Rams do take care of Rams.
0: Is there anything that you'd like to add about food insecurity on campus or the Rams Against Hunger programs?
7: I'd like to mention you know in an effort to really bring this conversation to the forefront we're doing our best to change the culture a little bit to start discussing For a long time, I was saying, let's normalize the conversation around food insecurity, and I'm realizing that that's that's really the wrong approach. We need to normalize the conversation around food security. We are a culture of surplus. We're a nation that has so much, Um, and in this region and in this town, no one should be facing food insecurity. It's a matter of distribution. It's a matter of us being a little bit more community minded and looking at the situation from a, from the lens of how do we get the food that already exists onto everyone's table and into everyone's refrigerators and pantries. We want to know that we, we already know there's enough food and it's how do we make sure that that food is in the right hands? Um, so it's kind of changing that, 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 uh, that culture a little bit and that's something that i think we can all focus on um, and that in itself will help reduce the stigma there is no shame in going to the pantry we're all one pandemic away or one um, illness in the family or one job loss away from needing that support and that's why it's here um, we are a stronger community for it <clears throat> so we invite everybody to take advantage of these resources one final resource that i really want to mention is snap benefits we have a snap benefits specialist at the pantry every day during our open hours um, and we invite anybody to come by way more students than one might think are eligible for snap benefits um, if you are receiving need-based work study and uh, you're going to get snap benefits and that can be 100 200 bucks a month placed on a card that looks just like any other debit card you go to the store and you utilize that and uh, that can be a huge weight off the shoulders a huge financial burden lifted so i'd really encourage students to consider by figuring the application for for, uh, snap benefits and the the benefit of having that person there is they're going to help you streamline the process it's a little bit overwhelming i'll admit when you first look at that application, it seems just like, uh, all right, this is this is too much. It, there are too many selections and too many criteria. I don't think I'm gonna make it. If you know what you're looking for, as our SNAP benefit specialists do, you can answer the right questions. You don't have to answer all those questions. You get yourself up, set up with an appointment uh, with someone from the county, and then you find out very quickly whether you're eligible or not. One real big misconception, is that people always believe, well, if I take it, I'm actually taking it from somebody who might need it more. And that is a fallacy. Um, it's a federally funded program. The more people who are eligible, the more the federal government puts into the, into the program. So by me accepting it, I am not taking away from somebody who needs it more because they will also get their benefits. So please don't fall into that rabbit hole there. Just uh, if you think you could use it, um, definitely go ahead and apply.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. All right. That was Michael Butram from Rams Against Hunger talking about the food pantry and SNAP benefits in a world where we're constantly dependent on social media and technology. KCSU wants to keep you aware. I'm Koda Babcock, and this is tech news highlights for Thursday. Facebook may be perfecting their artificial intelligence programs to take down hate speech across the platform. According to Rachel Metz of CNN Business, Facebook reported Thursday that its AI detected 94.7% of hateful content removed from Facebook's platform in 2020's third quarter. This has gone up by nearly 15% within a year. Facebook's chief technology officer, Mike Schroepfer, says that this te- some of this technology detects harmful statements and other content before it has the avi- ability to go viral. The goal of this AI is to prevent as many people as possible from viewing hateful content on Facebook. Facebook has previously been put under fire for its AI not catching violent content, including multiple live streams. Apple will be paying $113 million due to an investigation into its practice of slowing down the speed of old iPhones. The investigation included 34 states in the U.S. In a statement, the Arizona Attorney General, Mark Bronovich said, quote, I'm committed to holding these Goliath technology companies to account if they conceal the truth from their users, end quote. These slowdowns usually occurred in older iPhones after updating to a new iOS software. The investigation largely related Is largely related to Apple's lack of transparency with users rather than with their actual procedures of slowing down iPhones. Gunshot detection technology may be used to stop poachers. According to Christina Crittle of BBC News, the Zoological Society of London and Google Cloud have worked together to develop a new technology that can analyze audio for gunshots. By analyzing, the program can alert anti-poaching patrols and help protect animals on safaris and other nature reserves. Conservationists use camera traps currently, which have limitations to close range and a poacher walking within the line of sight. This practice is much more expensive than the noise-based sensors, and the new sensors will also have a greater range that they can detect events within. I'm Coda Babcock, and now for COVID-19 updates. Larimer County has 7,100 cases and, and 90, or 65 deaths as a result of COVID-19, with 143 outbreaks across the county. Larimer County has had six, 76 new positive cases in the past 24 hours and remains deeply in the high-risk category. Every day in the past two weeks has seen a minimum of 50 new cases, and nine days in the past two weeks have seen over 10% of cases come back positive. The county has a 14-day case rate of 755 per 100,000 residents, and we have 82 patients in the hospital for COVID-19. Overall hospital utilization is at 73%, and ICU utilization is at 75%. Almost 25% of county residents have been tested for COVID 19. 22 new outbreaks were reported yesterday, and Larimer County has a new public health order to avoid moving into a worse status. Indoor dining is limited to a maximum of eight per table, and residents are asked to only have people from two different households at. A table. Bars are open, but customers cannot sit, stand, or eat at the actual bar side, only at tables with tableside service. Customers are not allowed to wait indoors if a restaurant is at capacity. Organized recreational sports can now only have two spectators per player, and capacity must be under 50%. If Larimer County moves into the orange category, which it is close to doing, capacity limits will appear even more strict. Colorado State University has a cumulative total of 1,200 cases of COVID-19 since May of this year, and the university is facing a sharp spike in cases and has been since around a week after Halloween. The state of Colorado has a total of over 175,000 cases and over 2,600 deaths among those cases. There are over 1,800 outbreaks statewide, and over 1.5 million people have been tested. News of a vaccine has arrived, but officials are urging residents to remain safe to avoid filling hospitals and risking lives in the meantime. The state has released a guide to Thanksgiving, which encourages safe celebration. Some of the encouraged activities are cooking and eating a special meal with the household members, video chatting with friends and family outside of your household, and wearing a mask while going grocery shopping. The press release does ask that people do not visit anyone outside of their immediate household as a way to keep them safe. The Centers for Disease Control also has urged Americans to avoid travel this Thanksgiving, and they have acknowledged that the virus has taken a toll on families who crave connection with each other. This is mostly encouraged to protect older family members and those with compromised immune systems, but anyone is at risk for complications to COVID-19. College students are encouraged to self-isolate before coming home and wear masks around family members if that family member has an increased risk of complications. The United States has over 11.6 million cases of COVID-19 and over 250,000 deaths due to the virus. Yesterday, there were over 172,000 new cases and nearly 2,000 more deaths. In the past two weeks, cases have increased by 77%, deaths by 52%, and hospitalizations by 49%. Midwestern and Western Western states have become hotspots for COVID-19, and new reported cases by day have increased drastically to a high that hasn't been seen before. Deaths are also beginning to increase to levels not seen since the early months of the pandemic. Pfizer- The drug company has started to prepare its delivery program and the Trump administration has given funding to Apiject, which makes disposable injection devices that would not rely on typical vials and syringes currently used for vaccines. Information for today's segment was gathered from Colorado State University, Larimer County Public Health, the Colorado Inn, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, National Public Radio, USA Today, and the Centers for Disease Control. Masks, hygiene, social distancing, and avoiding unnecessary trips outside of the home are the best options currently available in preventing the transmission of COVID-19. For information on how and where to get tested, visit Larimer.org and navigate to the COVID-19 updates tag at the bottom of the page. This site also includes information about traveling during the pandemic, contact tracing, and the most recent press releases related to COVID-19. That's all for today's COVID-19 update. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're watching the Rocky Mountain Review. Up next, we have proposition updates and weird news. Or, sorry, up next we have weird news with Ivy Winfrey. But first, we have a quick break. We'll be right back.
4: for Solidarity is a letter writing group in which dance and movement steps are shared between folks both in solitary confinement in prison and folks on the outside as an act of solidarity. A few people in Fort Collins come together every couple weeks to write their pen pals together.
5: If you are interested in joining or just learning more about the project, you can find this group on Facebook at Dances for Solidarity Fort Collins, or you can send an email to Foco at gmail.com.
1: Sometimes. We need to get a little bit weird. So here's some of the weirdest stories I've heard today. I'm Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. In election fraud, uh, uh, fraught with voter fraud, a fat green parrot has been elected New Zealand's bird of the year. According to the Washington Post, the critically endangered Kakapo, a flightless parrot native to New Zealand, has been voted New Zealand's Bird of the Year in what event organizers have called a stunning upset. Also referred to as the Mighty Moss Chicken or the Owl Parrot, the Kekapo is the only parrot in the world that is unable to fly. The Bird of the Year election is held annually by New Zealand's independent conservation organization Forest and Bird. It ran into controversy after data analysts, working with Forest and Bird, discovered that nearly 1,500 fraudulent votes had been cast. The fraudulent votes, which were submitted using suspicious email accounts and came from the same IP address, briefly pushed the the country's kiwi puku puku bird into the lead the organizers said that these votes were immediately discarded laura kiwon spokesperson for board of the year bird of the year said in a statement quote it's lucky we spotted this little kiwi trying to sneak in an extra 1500 votes under the cover of darkness end quote Emma Rawson, the Kiwi Puku Puku campaign manager, said, quote, Voter fraud is not the Kiwi way, end quote, and urged people to uphold the bird's values of, quote, democracy, fairness, equality, and honesty. The Kiwi is symbolic among the people of New Zealand and has been adopted as a national emblem. Officials urged voters to play by the rules and only vote once per email, saying in a statement published before the polls closed, quote, Be warned, we will find you, and we will be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Held every year since 2005, the Bird of the Year contest has encountered allegations of voter misconduct in the past. In 2019, officials were forced to defend claims that Russians were unfairly attempting to interfere with the outcome after hundreds of international votes were registered. In 2018, it emerged that one person had cast an attempted 3,000 votes for New Zealand's rare shag species of bird. More than 55,000 votes were cast in 2020's contest, the largest turnout to date a rapper who said that he is making a tribute to a legendary new york city hip-hop group was recorded shooting a flamethrower from the top of an occupied city bus in an unsanctioned stunt a transit agency spokesman called quote absurd dangerous and just plain stupid end quote According to the Associated Press, the city's transit agency said that the stunt was an unauthorized event performed by the rapper Dupree G.O.D., who said in an Instagram post that he was shooting a video tribute to the Wu-Tang Clan, a celebrated New York City hip-hop group. Bystander Video gained social media attention after a police union tweeted the video as an example of the city becoming less safe. The police department said it was investigating the incident, which occurred on November 8th. Dupree, who also refers to himself as the Flame G.O.D., uh, posted drone footage of the event. In an earlier Instagram post, he invited people to the area for ice cream, t-shirts, and champagne. The Metropolitan Transportation Authority said that 25 passengers were discharged at the next stop and picked up by the next bus on the route. No injuries were reported. MTA spokesperson Tim Mitten said of the stunt, quote, We don't even need to say how absurd, dangerous, and plain stupid this was. The reckless individual who torched over the top of an occupied bus... Occupied bus put New Yorkers, including the bus operator, in life-threatening peril. End quote. And that's it for weird news. I'm Ivy Winfrey, um, and we'll be right back. I'm
0: not prepared for that. Got it. This is uh, Matt Pond from Matt Pond PA, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU.
1: And now for the weather.
0: Today we're experiencing a high of 62 and a low of 32, with about a 40% chance of rain and showers. Wind could reach up to 14 miles per hour throughout the day. Tomorrow, temperatures will be dropping a bit down to a high of 45 and a low of 28. No chance of rain, but it will be cloudy with winds reaching 12 miles per hour. Saturday winds will be slowing down and the skies will be mostly sunny. Temperatures will be ranging between 23 and 51 degrees, with winds going down to 7 miles per hour. Sunday will be very sunny and no chance of rain and te- with temperatures reaching up to 47 degrees with a low of 26. Winds at about 10 miles per hour. Monday, some clouds will be returning, but temperatures will be rising to a high of 55 and a low of 30 degrees. Winds will continue to slow down to 7 miles per hour. Tuesday will cool down very slightly to a high of 51 and a low of 29, but just about the same weather for the most part with a 10% chance of rain. And for Wednesday, you'll have to tune in on ne- in a week. For a Tuesday, December 1st episode of the Rocky Mountain Review here on KCSU Fort Collins.
1: And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right
0: now. We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Hamm, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Krueger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandel, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.